Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this webinar. I am glad that you're here. My name is Rick Thomas, and what I want to talk about in this webinar is the benefit of being intentionally intrusive, to be intentionally intrusive with one another. This webinar is going to benefit two or more people, regardless of the construct. If it's a husband and a wife, you can really benefit from what I'm going to share with you. Husband, wife, and children, of course, small group, any collection of friends. The benefit of being intentionally intrusive in one another's lives is one of the greatest needs in the local church. Our temptation is to well, to be Adamic. Our temptation is for our former manner of life that we brought into our Christian experience to have a dominating influence over our lives rather than living in the power and the freedom that Christ offers us. Gospel-centered people, because we like gospel-hyphenated language, gospel-centered people have nothing to fear, nothing to hide, and nothing to protect. And so what I want to accomplish in this webinar is to envision, to equip. I, I hope that it will cause many of you to engage one another in a different way, at a deeper level, a level that matters, so that heart transformation can happen in the context of community. In order for that kind of transformation to happen between two or more individuals, we must be intentionally intrusive. Both of those words are vital in context of this webinar. We want to be intrusive, meaning we want to get uh, into each other, learning each other, understanding each other, helping each other to change from the inside out. Well, there has to be an intentionality about that. It will not just happen. This is not a passive exercise. It is an active exercise in our sanctification. And so the title of this webinar is The Benefit of Being Intentionally Intrusive Well, in Each Other's Lives. Now, I have a twofold purpose in this webinar. The two things that I want to do, number one, I want to elevate the gospel's power. Now, that is essential. That is thing number one. That is the first thing, and it has to be first. There's a sequence here in my twofold purpose of this webinar. We must elevate the gospel's power. We must understand who we are as individuals in Christ. What does it mean to be in union with Christ and how to uh, how to stand in the power of what the gospel offers us and what the gospel does inside of us. And with the gospel rightly framed in our minds and actively working in our hearts, then the second part of this webinar is I want to give you practical instruction on how to mobilize as a community to strengthen each other. Now, again, you just don't want to mobilize as a community to strengthen each other because it will not be empowering, it will not be sustainable if the gospel is not the animating center of our lives. And so as I move through, I'm going to divide this webinar into two parts. Part one, I want to elevate the gospel's power. And then part two, I do want to give you some practical instruction on how to mobilize as a community to strengthen each other. I just don't want to say, trust God. I just don't want to say Jesus is the answer. I just don't want to say that we're more than conquerors through Christ. 
Well, all of those things are true, but we, we want to uh, practicalize that. I want to give you handles uh, to hold yourself up. I want to give you hooks to hang ideas on. I want to give you things that you can implement immediately into your lives. And so uh, let's go. We're talking about being intentionally intrusive with one another. And I believe that one of the first things that we have to address that, that we want to bring out front and center is that to be intentionally intrusive or to be in relationship with anyone, it automatically means living in relationship automatically means that there will be disappointment. I think sometimes some of us can be surprised when those around us disappoint us. There's two problems with that, of course. One, it's not fully recognizing, and not just recognizing, but positioning yourself for the reality that this is what fallen people do. I'm not talking about being suspicious or being cynical. I'm just talking about living in the reality of what it means to live in a world amongst fallen people. And so that's one thing that that we don't fully own as far as living uh, in a world for, full of fallen people. And then the second thing, we tend to look at others as being disappointing as though we are never disappointing. And so the truth is, is that all of us are disappointing from time to time. I have disappointed people, and if the Lord extends my days, I, I will disappoint people in the future. That's just the way it is. I'm not giving myself an out, a free pass. I'm not overlooking any sin that I may commit, but I'm just speaking to the reality that I can be a disappointing person. And I do have folks that could line up like in my home and could share with you how uh, that is true. And we know that to be true. And so I don't want to move past the log in my eye. And then secondly, I just have to live in the reality that people are people, that we people are people. And the tendency among fallen people is to do fallen things. And so living in relationship means disappointment. And the temptation will be to isolate yourself from other people to sequester yourself off, to retreat, to recoil, to take steps back, to find uh, what we would call safe spaces in our culture today, where there's no such thing as a safe space because you cannot isolate yourself from yourself. Uh, there was a gentleman named Simon uh, many centuries ago who was struggling with these matters, and so he uh, built a platform of sorts, and he lived up on top of that platform. And I don't recall, I think it was like seven years, uh, for those of you who know the story, you can correct me on that, but multiple years he lived uh, on this platform where people uh, gave him food uh, through a, a roping system and and. And he lived that way uh, and did not come down, uh, only to realize that he could not escape from himself. And that is so true. And so even if you do try to recoil, to retreat, to isolate yourself from other people, you cannot isolate yourself from yourself. And that's why it's important not just to look outward and say, well, all of those disappointing people in my life or all the people in my past, and we live in the past of what other people have done to us, and we miss this Hummer log sticking out of our own eye, recognizing that, that we too are disappointing as well. My point here is that it is not possible to live in uninterrupted shalom, uninterrupted 
peace. I don't mean that as a downer. Don't mean it as a negative at all. It, now, it would be a negative if we did not have Christ, if we did not have the power of the gospel, if we were not transformed. Perhaps someone's listening to this webinar who doesn't know Christ. Well, then your first step to get on the right track is to be born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus in 3.7 of John. You need a new life. You need, you need a, a new opportunity, and you do that through regeneration or to be born a second time. And if that is your situation, then I would appeal to you to reach out to us. And if you don't know what it means to be a, become a Christian, we would love to show you how to do that. And for those of you who do name the name of Christ, that you are in union with him, uh, it's important to understand that there is power for transformation. And so this is not a negative at all. You have experienced the initial transformation that you received at salvation, and now you can receive ongoing uh, micro-transformations, uh, if I could put it that way, where you're continuing to evolve, progressively sanctify until the fullness of into the fullness of what uh, who Christ is, and so this is not a negative. It's only a negative for those who have no power, and that power rests in God. And so the temptation is to isolate from others, and one of the contagions, and I'm calling it a social contagion, because it truly is that has dampened and and brought harm in many ways to this problem that we have with Adamic fallenness is the rise of social media, which has given rise to avoidance and isolation. Now we have an escape. We have a a way out. But it's not an escape, and it's not a way out. It is a, a way into further incarceration. And so now you can go into cyberspace, and you can function there without being around flesh and blood and real human beings. And you can retreat to this place so that you could have what I would call a false intimacy. And if you don't like the individuals that you're engaging with, you can unfriend and you can unfollow them with one click. I mean, how easy is that? But the problem is, is that cyber relationships are partial relationships. It is a false intimacy, and it's important to understand both of those words. If you say that it's intimate as in the fullness of what intimacy can be, well, then you're misjudging and misunderstanding social media to your detriment. It is a false intimate, but intimacy, but that is, that is the bait, and that is the temptation. Jesus, on the other hand, he entered into our lives, the gospel, Christ, uh, Emmanuel. He is with us. He came, left his place and came to our place as our first missionary, and he took on flesh to become like us. He did not stay where he was and interact with us from a distance, which is, in essence, what social media is. You can be in your place, and you can interact with someone in their place, but never engage them. And that is, honestly, it is an anti-gospel approach. It's a social media is not real-world relationships. Counseling is another traditional and common and, and popular uh, among many as far as relating with another individual, but counseling itself is a false intimacy. Uh, it, it has intimacy elements to it in, in, in that you're sitting with another person 
across the room in another chair. You're looking at them. You can hear them. You're in the same space as them. And so there are elements of intimacy with counseling, but counseling itself is limited in time and scope. Limited in time because you have one session or or two or 12. But whatever that number is, time-wise, it is limited because counseling is not an ongoing forever relationship like what you can have in, let's say, a more real-world context with family and friends and the local church. It's also limited in scope because you only meet an individual within a counseling office, and you don't see them in these other contexts. You don't meet them in the milieu, in the the social context, the social environments in which they live. And, And many people prefer counseling. In fact, you will hear people say, I just heard this a couple of weeks ago as I was talking with a couple, that one of the reasons they like counseling is because they can go outside of their church where nobody knows them, where nobody has to know their business. And I want you to think about how abnormal that statement is. Now, I didn't say anything to my new friends because it was not appropriate, but, well, also I've heard this so many times uh, in my life anyway, but it wasn't appropriate. I didn't say anything to them because they need a much broader vision uh, for soul care and what it means to be part of the body of Christ and to be intentionally intrusive in each other's lives. But they prefer counseling because it has elements of intimacy where I can reveal my whole self to someone, uh, but yet I can maintain or put a fence around vulnerability and weakness and reputation because this person is limited in time and scope, and then I can go back to my real world. Uh, Here's an illustration of how counseling can be an artificial context, a reluctant husband that comes to counseling, or a reluctant spouse for that matter. They will come to counseling, and they will do what they have to do, but are we actually intentionally intrusive in this person's life? No. With the reluctant spouse, what you're basically doing is ticking the box. Now, you would hope that during the counseling context that God would grant repentance, and and miraculous things will happen with this man to where he's not just ticking the box, but now he wants to go into his real world and be transparent with other people. Uh, but counseling provides him an opportunity to tick the box and to give a show of intimacy and intentionality and intrusiveness, but not in reality, because ultimately he's re- reluctant to Uh, enter into that kind of relationship, but he comes to the counseling session because his wife was uh, pleading with him or maybe even uh, just throwing down an ultimatum. Another way that this happens where counseling has false intimacy is the hurt person builds up walls. And so they come to counseling. They are intimate. They are sitting across the room, uh, but There are walls that are erected that they don't take down. Now, if you lived in context with the reluctant husband, lived in the milieu, or with the hurt person, then you have a greater opportunity to grow into the possibility of it being intentionally intrusive in both of their lives and them reciprocating, but counseling would be a tough putt. Uh, to make that happen because of the limitations of it. There are missing elements, and some of the missing elements are transparency and honesty and vulnerability 
and unmasking. And so there is, in order to be intentionally intrusive, social media has weaknesses, counseling has weaknesses, but there's another context where we can enter into a purer and more powerful relationship with each other. And the text that I want to use to communicate this idea of living in real world with real people in real context, not counseling context, not cyber context, is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Now on the screen here, the slide that you're looking at, you're looking at verses 19 through 23, but this is part of the twofold uh, approach or the twofold purpose of this webinar. And so these first few verses are giving you the, the first part of what I want to communicate, and that is the power and the confidence that we have in Christ. Because again, the sequence must be in play here. The sequence is the gospel first and then practically living it out second. And so I'm going to walk through Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, but the first part of the twofold purpose of this webinar, I will just stop at verse 23 at this moment. Here's the text. It's, it's a long one. I will just walk through it. You can read it, and I would encourage you to even highlight it, mark it, jot it down on a piece of paper, uh, and then go back to your Bible so that you can read it more carefully at your own uh, space and uh, at your own pace and leisure. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And so listen to the boldness. Uh, this is a possession that you have because you have this. Now, because you have this, uh, you have this confidence. You can, you can go beyond the barrier. You can be, go beyond the wall to the most, the, the curtain, the most, in, enter into the most holy place by the new and living way that he, Christ, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, listen to the boldness of these words and, and the power of them, the potency and the purity of them, the clarity of them, the succinctness of them, but yet what they communicate, that what we have in Christ that opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh is what I mean, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Hear, hear that confident word again of faith with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful there are so many strong words in this passage of Scripture. It is confidence and holy place and, and blood of Jesus and new and, and living way and his, his flesh and a great priest over the house of God. Drawn near, true heart, full assurance, heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, bodies washed, pure water, hold fast, confession of our hope without wavering. Why? How can we do this? For he who promised is faithful. Now that is a strong passage of scripture that positions us where we need to be in Christ, and it just infuses us with so much confidence that we can hold fast and we can endure, we can 
uh, enter into relationships with each other because we have this powerful relationship with Christ and what he has done for us. And, and, and the reason I say enter into relationship with each other because that is the second part of this webinar, and it's what verses 24 and 25 say explicitly. And so the Bible is calling us to live differently. We want to live differently from superficial relationships and cyber relationships and, and counseling relationships. And so where do you begin to become a better relationship builder within God's family? Well, the way that you do that, you connect your ability to persevere with others directly to your relationship with God and how you appropriate his life into yours. And so if you go back to that, those verses in 19 through 23 in Hebrews 10, it's imperative that we see and that we understand that we connect our ability to persevere with others, disappointing people. The way that you do that is that you, you connect the ability or the power that you have to your relationship with God. So God is the power. The gospel is the power, but not just understanding that. You have to appropriate that into your life. A transformative relationship with the Lord will give you what you need to interact with any person, regardless of how challenging it may be. Now, that is a powerful thought. But, but think about those verses again, the confidence that we have, the full assurance of faith, not because of anything that we've done, because of what he has done. He, his body has been ripped and his blood has been sprinkled and it has, it has purified our hearts and has transformed our lives. That's why I was saying earlier that if you are not a, a Christian, these are the benefits of of Christianity. It was, it's what it means to be regenerated, to be born a second time. And when you enter into the family of God, you receive this confidence, this assurance, and this power. And the more that you appropriate Christ to your life, the more you are enabled and emboldened to be able to interact with others. Therefore, a relationship prerequisite. To put it in a word, that word that word is Jesus, Christ. And that is what we want to understand. What does it mean to be in unity with Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be ongoing transformation through the power of the Spirit working in us, growing us up into Christ-likeness? You can't build and sustain a long-term relationship that will go to any depth without this prerequisite. Now, yeah, you could be married to a person for 55 years. You can have long-term relationships that can go many, many decades, but it's not just a sustainable long-term relationship, I said. It's a sustainable long-term relationship that goes in depth, which means it's in a relationship where you can live in a transparency you can live in a vulnerability. You can live in weakness with one another because the gospel, again, frees us. We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to protect. And the more that you appropriate 
Christ and his power to your life, the more you will be able to persevere in relationships. So I'm going to go through this verse one more time quickly, and then I want to get to the practical application of it. But I cannot overemphasize this prerequisite. Brothers, because we have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain. They're talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness in Exodus 25, 8. It was the first verse where God told Moses to build a tabernacle, then he gave him the instruction of that tabernacle. Of course, Jesus in John 1, we read that he tabernacled uh, with us, and then after he died and rose, ascended, now he tabernacles in us. And so because we have this confidence through the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, superintending all that is going on, because we have this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. There's a lot of let us in here. Let us hold fast. Uh, the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. And then, verse 24, the very next verse, the very next sentence, it goes into two verses, 24 and 25, it's one sentence. Now, because of all that I've said, let us consider. Now let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so what the writer is now saying, because of this power, because of this position that we have power from Christ, position in Christ, now we want to, that's the vertical relationship, now we want to go horizontally, and we want to consider, that's one thing, we want to consider how to stir up one another. And so first you want to consider your friends, and then you want to stir them up. I'm going to speak to all three of these things to consider, to stir up, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging, that's the third thing in this sentence, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Harmonic living with others is proportional to your appropriation of Christ into your life. And so if you are really operating under the, the power and the force of Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, you are appropriating Christ in your life. You have drawn near. You have full assurance of faith. You have this confidence, not because of what you have done, but because of our great high priest who is superintending over us well, then you have the possibility of harmonic living. I'm not saying that all your relationships are going to be just going to go swimmingly well. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, some of your relationships may not only be cantankerous, but may be cantankerous all of your days. But that harmonic living may only be the shalom that you have in your soul because of the power of Christ, even though you're living in a world with a few uncooperative people who have no desire to change whatsoever. If you are appropriating, appropriately applying the gospel to your life, 
you will be ready. You'll be positioned to practically live it out in a community. Now, that is the second part of the passage, how to live well with others. And so Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 now, 19 through 23 is understanding and appropriating the gospel to your life. Verses 24 and 25 is now how to live it out practically. This is the twofold purpose of this webinar. And so let's get into the second aspect, the second aspect, excuse me, practically speaking. And so I want to go back to the three things that I mentioned in verses 24 and 25. The first one I'll talk about is practically considering. Number two is practically confronting. Number three is practically comforting, where it says encourage one another. And so let's talk about all three of those in order. To be The benefits of being intentionally intrusive in each other's lives in sequence In this passage, in context, the first thing that you have to do is practically consider. And so the writer says, let us consider one another. Before you can be in a right relationship with another person, you must consider the other person, meaning that person is on your heart in the most positive way, that you are considering them, that you are thinking about them, not thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about them. It is truly Matthew 22, 36 through 40, loving God and loving others. In order to be in a right relationship with another person, you have to think about them. I'm not saying at this juncture that you have to do anything, but you have to think about them. You want to consider them. The word consider in this text means you become a student of the person in your life, and so you are studying them top the bottom, inside and out, pen and paper, and you are just thinking about who this person is, what makes them tick, what makes them flow, what makes them do what they do, why do they do what they do. You want to spend time, and this is, you want to spend time exegeting them, and this is what Christ does for us. I mean, as, as the Hebrew writer has already said in chapter 4 that he knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Now, we, we're not omniscient, and I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that you can understand motive and those types of things, but I am saying that for many of us, there will have to be an attitudinal and a, a practical shift in our thinking because we don't spend time practically thinking about the other person, practically considering them. And so the Hebrew writer is saying that we let us consider. And that's what it means uh, is to be exegeting that individual. And so one of the ways that practically considering, it means actively listening. You are actively listening to the other person. And what that means is while they're talking, you're not thinking about what you are going to say. This is not the ready, fire, aim mode of conversation or listening to people where you are positioning yourself to be able to communicate what you want to communicate as soon as they're done. No, you're stepping into their words and you're listening to those words with intention. And so you're intentionally intrusive. You're getting into their words and trying to understand what they're saying. Now, this is the essence of counseling, but I want to move this out of a counseling construct and move it into real-world 
living. And so when a husband is talking to the wife, the wife is sitting there, standing there, actively listening to what that man is saying. When a, a child is talking to a dad, that dad is is there, he's present, and he's listening to the words that are coming out of that child's life. But not just the actual, uh, or that child's mouth, not just the actual words and the definition of those words, but also hearing what is unsaid. And this is one of the things that we do teach in our Mastermind program, this idea of listening. I talk about listening at two levels. And what I mean by that is you're listening to the words that are being communicated, but then you are labeling those words with biblical uh, nomenclature, what they're saying in their heart. So if a person is, is communicating, let's say, frustration, uh, they're frustrated at something going on in their lives. That's what's coming out of their mouths. That's the upper level, listening at two levels. But then you're also listening at this lower level, the heart level, and say, oh, this person is angry. And then you would run that through the filter of James 4. Uh, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And so, oh, maybe there's some idolatry going here. There's some desires that are not being met. Now, you wouldn't necessarily say these things to the individual, it was like the person that was talking that I shared illustration earlier about they like going they preferred to go outside of their local church to receive counseling from a stranger. I was listening at two levels, but I did not communicate everything that I was thinking uh, to that couple when they were talking to me. One, I did not know them; I just met them, and two, it just wasn't appropriate. It wasn't the time because there wasn't a relational bridge built, and by the way, they weren't asking me for any advice anyway, and so I just, but but nevertheless, I listen at two levels. Uh, per chance that the relationship ever goes anywhere, I am actively listening to this individual, and I have this building, this ongoing building treasure of words and ideas and concepts that they have communicated because I'm paying attention to them. Now, another way that you listen to the unsaid, not just uh, the two-level listening that I was talking about, upper level, the words coming out of their mouth, lower level, uh, the Bible interpretation of what they're saying, but you're also asking the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind and to help you to see what you cannot see and to hear uh, what you cannot hear. And so you want the Spirit of God to empower you so you are perfectly, perfectly positioned to be a friend to this individual because you're listening broadly and comprehensively and in an illuminated kind of way. You're trying to discern such things as presuppositions and worldview and categories and interpretive grids and filters and shaping influences. Now, you hold these things loosely. You hold these things humbly uh, because you're subjective. I'm subjective, and the chances of me being wrong uh, is pretty high. And so there's two ditches that you don't want to fall into. One is omniscience, like you, know, like you know everything, and you know exactly what the person meant by whatever they said. Well, you don't want to fall into the ditch of omniscience, but you also don't want to fall into the ditch of, of not exploring the possibility of what some of these things mean that the individual is saying. And so you're asking the Spirit of God to give you discernment 
and wisdom. You want to understand the individual's presuppositions and their worldview and their categories and interpretive grid and shaping influences by the things that they said because you are considering them. Now, don't you want that kind of friend in your life? Do you have people in your life who think about you? Are there people? Now, I don't mean that uh, to, to, to shame or to uh, critique or condemn because maybe you're struggling with loneliness right now. And, and I know that many people come to our ministry and it's like, I just don't have anyone in my life that's, that's I can have this kind of relationship that you're talking about. Like say in this webinar, I don't have anybody like this. So even when I ask this question, do not penalize yourself because that individual is not in your life at this point, but is definitely a prayer request and is something that you need to to talk about and you need to work through. But the question is, do you have people in your life who think about you, who practically consider you? Now, one of the things that you'll have to address along these lines is have you permitted them to speak into your life? And so you, you don't want to go full tilt into blaming the community uh, for not speaking into your life, because that again, that is our tendency to, that when we find fault in relationships, our our first impulse can be, and many times is, to to place the blame out there on those individuals in our life. And there's probably blame to be laid out there uh, in some way and to some degree. And I understand that, but you also want to address yourself as well. And so, have you permitted them to speak into your life? Because the truth is, we are, I am an Adamic person myself, and my temptation would be to do what Adam did and to live behind fig leaves and to be struggling with my own personal shame to where I don't want people to speak clearly into my life. And then the third question is, under practically considering, I'm giving you my basically my call to action now as I go through these three points, I'm giving you questions. I will have some questions at the end of the webinar, but I also have these questions inside the webinar because I do want to stop long enough, to pause long enough at each point to give you for reflective questions. And if you're, you're watching the webinar, you can hit the pause button and you can take screenshots of these slides that I'm showing you. You can jot down these questions and, and you can use them. Uh, in fact, it would be great if you could use them in an important relationship that you have. But my third question is, are you doing life with folks who are committed to this kind of one-anothering? For many of you, the answer to that question is no. Uh, some of you may put descriptors in front of that no, uh, just to make an exclamation point uh, that you're not doing life with those kinds of friends. Well, I I just strongly appeal to you that as you think about this conundrum that, that you're in in your relationships, that you don't put all the weight of the problem on them, that you balance the weight and ask the Lord to help you to see in areas that you can change, like question number two here, have you permitted them to speak into your life? And so point number one in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider. And then point number two... Let us consider what? How to stir one another up to loving good works, loving good deeds. And so point number two is the benefits of being intentionally intrusive in stirring one another up. I'm using the word confronting here so that I can have all three points starting with a C. And so we are practically considering, now we are practically confronting one another. And that's what the Hebrew writer has said. Of course, all of this is prefaced by the boldness and the confidence and the assurance that we have in Christ. Now, you can translate the word stir up in this verse. It is, it is 
accurate to translate the word spur, spur or to stir up as spur, provoke, or irritate each other biblically. Yes, irritate. Now, I have uh, given this talk twice uh, in my life, one in Alberta, Canada, and one in Sarasota, Florida. And I decided that I wanted to put it in a webinar because once I get to this point here, this is when the eyes open up and the heads turn, and it's like, wow, this is strong language. Well, there's a reason for the strong language, and that's because if, if you interpret this passage of Scripture within the context in which the writer wrote this passage of Scripture, you would see why he was being so strong with his language, because the truth is people were murdering them. They were at the height of Christian persecution. Murdering is the height of Christian persecution. And so therefore, the writer is using the strongest of language to motivate them. This is no time to be playing around. We're not living in the, the comforts and the privileges and, and the blessedness of, of Christianity with no harassment and no persecution. No, they, they were being persecuted, and it was, it was severe, and therefore his language is intensified to bring them up to a level to where it's life and death, that you have to be intentionally intrusive into each other's lives. And so, so therefore he uses the word, let us consider how to irritate one another. And of course, I say biblically, obviously, that is the context. You, want, you don't want to irritate people sinfully. And so this is a command to be intentionally intrusive in other people's lives. It is an absolute non-negotiable command. Now, the irritation here is not to be angry or to be an annoyance or to be a nag or to be any of those negative type things that really don't bring redemption to relationships. But if you are going to build relationally, there will be an element of uncomfortableness, which is accurate to irritation. There will be elements of vulnerability. There will be elements of challenges and difficulties. And so all of that is like a word cloud around this idea of irritate one another. And it's important that you go back to point number one, practically considering, because if you're practically confronting and being a biblical irritant in the other individual's life, and you haven't practically considered them, the chances of missing the mark, and I mean that language literally, missing the mark is the metaphor for sinning is the person who is shooting an arrow at a target, a bow and arrow, shooting an arrow at a target, they miss the mark. That's the picture of sin, a transgression going across the line. And so if you do not practically consider, but you practically confront by being a biblical irritant, well, there's a good chance of being an unbiblical irritant. And so it's essential that we get this sequence in order that you practically consider and then you practically confront. Here's some uh, thoughts for you. If you have people around you who are not allowed to disagree with you, you will not grow. You can't live in a rubber stamping community. You cannot live in an echo chamber of parrots, uh, people that say what you want them to say. I, I tell our team that 
uh, often, I've told them often that I, I don't need rubber stampers. I need people who who are willing to disagree. It doesn't mean that I'm ever going to agree with you. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to agree with me. But we truly can agree to disagree or we can disagree to agree eventually. But we don't rubber stamp. Fear of man uh, is is a it's a cancer in relationships and this idea of building relationships with just people that rubber stamp you is is a dangerous idea and so if you have people around you who are not allowed to disagree with you you will not grow if you're too touchy if you're too insecure if you're too self-important if you're too image conscious if you're too self-righteous you're heading into spiritual death and Unfortunately, we can be this way. We can struggle with these things. I struggle with these things. I'm not above you. I'm not above anyone. That these are temptations that are common to humanity, and I am a human, and these are things that are common to me. And I have to go back to Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23, and recognize who Christ is in me and and grow in that Christocentric confidence and that Christocentric assurance that I have because of what he did, the ripping of his flesh and the ascending, and and now being our high priest so that I don't have to be touchy, insecure, self-important, image-conscious, or self-righteous because if I if those things glom on to my soul, then I am definitely heading towards spiritual death. The sins that can most destroy us are the ones that we cannot see. The most dangerous part of our sin problem is our blindness to our blindness. And that last statement is critical in relationships because, again, the sins that can most destroy us destroy us are the ones that we cannot see. And if we cannot see then we're not going to be able to discern the things that are attacking us. This is like the individual that listens to themselves the first time on an audio recording, and it's like, wow, do I sound like that? Everybody in the room knows that you sound like that, but you, you're the only one who doesn't know that you sound that way. That is blind to your blindness. And if you don't have a friend, if you don't have someone that you permit, there's two There's two aspects here. You permit them to practically confront you because they practically consider you. And then, of course, they have to have the courage to be able to do so. But the sins that can most destroy you are the ones you cannot see. The most dangerous part of our sin problem is our blindness to our blindness. Intentionally intrusive, point number two, practically confronting. A few more thoughts. Sin's deceitfulness causes us to minimize, to rationalize, to justify, and not admit sin. That's why you don't want to live in that echo chamber. You don't want to live among parrots. Uh, you, you don't want to live in that world where no one is permitted to disagree with you because our own temptation would be to reduce the things that we do wrong, to round the corners off of it, to to suck the, the vitality uh, out of it to where we have rationalized or justified or not confessed or admitted what we have done wrong, and that's what sin's deceitfulness will do. The mark of a mature Christian community is people not blind to their sin. And it takes there's two parts there, because, because we innately can be blind to our own sin, we need those other people in our lives. Now, this kind of authenticity that I'm talking about obviously requires friends who are willing to go below the surface 
of each other's lives. We're talking about practically confronting, point number two uh, in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, being intentionally intrusive. All right, so a few questions for you to think about under this second section, second point. Number one, have you permitted your friends to disagree with you? Have you? And maybe this is just a conversation that you need to have. I've had this conversation decades now ago with Lucia uh, when we were married, maybe before we were married. I don't remember. But early in our relationship, uh, this was an important conversation that we had. I do not need a rubber stamping wife. I need a person who is willing to disagree with me. Uh, and actually, that is the person that you want to disagree with you under the, I am presuming that they have practically considered you. Because the spouse, your spouse knows more about their spouse than any other person in the world. And if you lived with each other for any length of time, and you are practically considering that in individual, then you know all the nooks and crannies of of your spouse's life. And so if you are practically considering, then you should be the one that's practically confronting whether you're the husband or or the wife. Now, I realize that in too many marriages, people are more apt to confront without considering, and that would be wrong, and that rarely comes out right. But you do want to have friends in your life that will disagree with you. Can your friends disagree with you without sinful reactions from you? And one of the dynamics where this is important is between parents and children, where you, as your children grow older, uh, and they're growing in in that interdependent state, which is in our parenting model of teaching, that's from 2 to 22, arbitrary time frame, but as they're growing in interdependence after the, after the dependent state of 0 to 2, now they're growing in interdependence, they're maturing, and then as they grow in the upper uh, the upper frame of the interdependent state, meaning they're 10, 11, 12, 15, 18 years of age, uh, you want them to be able to speak into your life because your goal, I mean, it would be ideally to have you, your adult children that are that come alongside you as friends and, and they help you in your sanctification, even though you are the parent, uh, you want them to speak into your life. Well, one of the ways that you position them to be able to do that is to grow them in this ability to, or in this desire to be able to speak into your life without sinful reactions. But if your children, if you give them permission to speak into your life and then you respond sinfully to them, you will shut them down quickly and it will be harder to get them to open up again. But not just with a parent-child in a parenting model where you're growing them to be uh, to be uh, mentors or, or to be disciplers discipling you, but in any other any other relationship, you you want them to know that you're not going to sinfully react when they speak into your life, especially when they speak imperfectly. And by the way, the only way that another person can speak into your life is imperfectly because they are imperfect. And so even in their imperfect communication to you, if you have a sinful reaction, then it's going to get combustive. And so we are practically confronting, giving you a few thoughts. Here's another question. Are you willing to lovingly disagree with your friends for their good and God's glory? So you want to practically consider and then practically stir them up. Are you willing to do that? And then number two, uh, the second question on this slide, do you live in a community where intentional, intrusive living is the norm? That's a closed-ended question, yes or no. Just answer the question, and then if the answer is no, 
then start addressing how you need to change before you start addressing how they need to change. Point number one, to be intentionally intrusive, you want to be considering one another. Point number two, you want to be stirring one another up, a biblical irritant. You want to be confronting one another. And then point number three is you want to be comforting one another, that you encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what the text says in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 24-25, that you encourage one another, I'm saying practically comfort. The Greek word for comforting is parakaleo, which means to come alongside a person. You see the word Holy Spirit here, our comforter, uh, who comes alongside para, like paragraph, alongside the graphe, alongside the writing. Parakaleo uh, is coming alongside a person. Coming alongside another person is a critical thought uh, in this text. While you are confronting, while you are correcting an individual in the context of spurring them on to loving good works, they must know you care for them. And it's so wonderful that the Hebrew writer put the encouragement in here because I could see a situation where people would take the confrontational aspect of that sentence. The sentence goes from verse 24 to verse 25. They could take the confronting aspect of that sentence and without the encouragement there, and it could come across harsh and unkind and it could cause more problems than redemptive good. It is unwise, unbiblical, and unkind to correct any person you are not for. You are for them. It doesn't mean that you're for their sin. You can be for a person, but not for their sin. If you do not get this right, in your heart and in your delivery, your corrective care may come across as punitive rather than redemptive. And that's what I was saying earlier, that I'm so glad that the Hebrew writer added encouraging one another all the more, because that really modifies and it gives a better color to what confrontation means. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Paul said this, uh, which is very helpful and it works perfectly within this verse in Hebrews, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. By the way, when you look at this verse, and if you're not watching the webinar, but you're listening to it, but as you listen to this verse, you can hear Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. You see those first verses that I talked about in Hebrews 10, uh, is our position in Christ and what Christ has done for us, and because of what Christ done has done for us, the writer flows right into verse 24, let us, therefore, because of what Christ has done for us, let us stir one another up and encourage one another all the more. And that's what this text is saying in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us because of what He's done for us. He's comforted us in our affliction. Okay, that's the first part. Because he has comforted us for what he has done for us, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. The gospel always is the prerequisite to our work in other people's lives. And so practically comforting. 
How often do you pray for those you need to correct? Huge question that if we are not practically considering them as we before we correct them, uh, then they will not be comforted by what we are doing uh, for them or to them. Do those you biblically irritate feel your affection? This is a great question for parents to ask children. We biblically irritate our children, or uh, I trust it's biblical irritation, not unbiblical irritation, but they should be encouraged by that. Question three, could those you bring correction to make a case for how you are for them? And again, if the gospel is the prerequisite, whether we're talking about this comforting passage in Corinthians or talking about this passage in Hebrews, the gospel comes first, and if it is actively working in our hearts, then those who receive our corrective care will receive comforting. As I wrap up the webinar... I think this brings us all to the same exclamation or the same request. Dear God, I need thee. I need thee every hour. Because to be able to accomplish these three points in Hebrews 10, we need God. And if you're not accessing the community of faith while seeking to have that community know you the way you need to be known, your sanctification is in danger of shipwrecking. And so we need God to be actively working in our lives because we need the community of faith. We can't isolate in cyberspace. We can't go for these false, intimate, artificial contexts that aren't fully comprehensive because of the need that we have in our lives. We need God. We cannot draw near to God on our own. It would be best to have a community to spur us on to change The author of Hebrews, and I made this statement, or I talked about this earlier, but I want to repeat it here because it's important that we understand the strength and the urgency and the strong language within this framework of this text, this passage that we're looking at. The author of Hebrews knew the dire straits his readers were in, which is why he used strong language to motivate them toward love and good works. People were murdering them. That's where they were. We need to apply this passage of Scripture to our lives. If we are not accessing the community of faith while seeking to have that community know us the way we need to be known, our sanctification is in danger of shipwrecking. This is the way I frame this, and so this is this is my appeal for myself. This is my prayer request. This is my appeal to my friends. I say it like this. I'm not asking my friends to agree with me, to turn a blind eye to my sin or coddle me. I'm asking them to love God enough to be motivated to be used by Him to speak into my life, especially in areas where I am self-deceived. There is safety in this kind of community, and we must not be satisfied until we live in it. Now, when I'm talking about friends in this quote here, I'm not talking about my cyber friends. I'm not talking about people that I've hardly met because they haven't practically considered me. They only know part of me through cyber relationship. They're welcome to correct me, and I trust that I would receive the correction, and I trust the correction would be accurate. But I'm not talking about those friends that I know only or primarily in cyberspace. I'm talking about my real-world relationships. I need them. 
All right, let me wrap up with a few call to action questions. Number one, do you live in this kind of reciprocal, transformative community of friends? Yes, sir. No. And if the answer is no, then again, start with yourself. What do you need to do to change? And that's question number two. What do you need to do to either create or sustain this sort of intentional community? Number three, how does being hurt by others hinder you from engaging others in a face-to-face community? This is a real question because it is a real problem in many of our lives because we live in a fallen world and we've been affected by the fallenness of other people. Question number four, will you find help to work through your disappointments so you can participate in a loving, intrusive community? The twofold purpose of this webinar, number one, elevate the gospel's power. I trust that I have done that and that you have somewhat of a handle of that. And the second part, while giving you practical instruction on how to mobilize as a community, to strengthen each other. If you have benefited from this webinar, uh, please understand this webinar is free to you, is free to anyone in the world. It's sitting on our website. Anyone can access it at any point and share it with whomever. The only way that we can do this is by those who benefit from our resources and have the means to be able to support this ministry. If you have the means uh, to support our ministry, Would you be so kind to become a regular partner with us, either supporting us monthly or annually, or maybe you can make one one one-time gift? It takes thousands and thousands of dollars every month to be able to do what we do, to be able to pay our team to do what they do as we work together to provide these resources for you. If you believe in what we're doing, benefit from it, and have the means. If you do not have the means, please do not sense any guilt uh, at at all whatsoever. I want you to use these resources. And the way that you will help us is that you will share them. You don't have the means to be able to support, but you can be evangelists. You can share our resources broadly and please share them with whomever. But if you do have the means, we do need your support because of the expenses to carry on this ministry. And so we're trusting God to work in appropriate hearts. Thank you so much for watching. The title of the webinar is The Benefit of Being Intentionally Intrusive in Each Other's Lives. I am Rick Thomas. Thanks for watching. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.